Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 111, Failure, Part 1 <laughs> The Dark Lord was laughing. From the empty air came the voice of the defense professor, laughing wildly, so high and terrible his laughter. It was Voldemort's laughter now, the Dark Lord's laughter beyond all hiding or restraint. Harry's mind was disarrayed. His eyes kept staring at where Albus Dumbledore had been. There was a horror in him that was too huge for understanding or reflection. His mind kept trying to fall back through time and undo reality. But that wasn't a sort of magic that existed, and reality stayed the same. He had lost. He had lost Dumbledore. There were no takebacks, and that meant he had lost the war. And the Dark Lord went on laughing. <laughs> Professor Dumbledore! Ah, oh, Professor Dumbledore! Such a fitting end to our game! The wrong sacrifice, even at the finish. For the piece you gave up everything to save was already in my possession. The wrong trap, even from the beginning. For I could have abandoned this body at any time. <laughs> you never did learn cunning, you poor old fool. You? A voice was coming from Harry's throat. You? <laughs> Why, yes, little child, you were always along on this adventure as my hostage. It was your whole purpose in being here. <laughs> you are decades too young to play this game against the real Tom Riddle, child. The Dark Lord drew back the hood of the cloak, his head becoming visible, and began to remove the rest of the cloak. And now, boy, you have helped me. Yes, indeed. And so it is time to resurrect your girl child friend to keep promise. The Dark Lord's smile was cold, cold indeed. I suppose you have doubts. Mark well, I could kill you this instant, for there is no longer a headmaster of Hogwarts to be informed of it. Doubt me all you wish, but remember that. The hand was once more holding the gun. Now come along, foolish child. And they left. They went back out through the door into the potions room, the Dark Lord banishing the returned purple fire with a stroke of his wand. They went through the chamber where the Bogart had been, and the chamber of ruined chest statues, and through the burned door of the chamber of keys. The Dark Lord floated up through the trap door, and Harry struggled up afterward through the spiral staircase of leaves, the tendrils of the Devil's Snare twitching and then moving back as though afraid. The boy who lived was trying hard not to burst into tears, and his dark side patterns weren't helping, maybe because Voldemort had never known or dealt with guilt. They passed the huge, three-headed Inferi, and at a whispered word from the Dark Lord, it collapsed over the trapdoor and became a corpse again. 
they passed Severus Snape standing guard, who told them both that he was guarding the door and that they must leave or he would deduct house points. The Dark Lord spoke the words, Hyakuju Montauk, without pausing in his stride, accompanied by a jab of his wand. And Severus staggered before he lifelessly drew himself up beside the door once more. What? What did you... Just fulfilling my obligation to my faithful servant. It shall not kill him, as I promised you. <laughs> the hostages. It was hard to keep his voice steady. The students. You said you would stop whatever is going to kill them. Yes. Stop worrying. We'll do on our way out. Out? We are leaving, child. The Dark Lord was still smiling. The bad feeling this raised was lost in a sea of other bad feelings. The Dark Lord was now consulting what he'd called the Hogwarts map, the handwritten lines upon it seeming to move as they walked. Some part of Harry's mind that had been considering what to do if they ran into Aurors on patrol, whom the Dark Lord could kill or obliviate in an instant, gave up that hope as well. They went down the grand staircase to the second floor, encountering no one. The Dark Lord made a turn Harry did not know, and went down another stair flight. As they descended past one floor and another, the window stopped and the torches began. They were within the Slytherin dungeons now. Ahead, the form of a person in Hogwarts robes appeared. A sixth or seventh year Slytherin was waiting by a section of wall that was set with an artistic carving of Salazar Slytherin wielding his wand against what looked like a giant covered in icicles. The witch made no comment at seeing Professor Quirrell walking upright, or seeing Harry in his company, or seeing the gun in the defense professor's hand. If her eyes were blank, Harry couldn't tell the difference. The Dark Lord reached into his robes, took out a knut, and flipped it to her. Claudia Alicia Tabor, I command you thus. Take this knut to the spell circle I showed you beneath the Quidditch stands and put it in the center. Then obliviate yourself of the last six hours. Yes, my lord. The witch said, bowing to him, and went on her way. I thought... I thought you needed the stone to... The Dark Lord was still smiling. He had never stopped smiling. I did not say that part in Parseltongue, child. All I said in Parseltongue was that I had set events in motion to kill students. Events that I would stop if I obtained the stone. The rest was in human speech. I would have also stopped the Bloodfort sacrifice if I had not obtained the stone, so long as I was not discovered and restrained. The students of Hogwarts are a valuable resource, whom I have already spent much time training. Then the Dark Lord hissed to the wall, Open! Harry's eyes saw the tiny snake that had been set in the upper left of the carving, even as the wall slowly swung backward, revealing the opening of a huge pipe. Moss grew on its sides, and a musty, dusty smell welled up from it. The interior was also covered with cobwebs in multiple sheets. Spiders. <sighs> he sighed, and for that brief moment he sounded once more like Professor Quirrell. The Dark Lord walked into the huge pipe, the cobwebs burning away before him. Harry, not seeing any better options, followed. The pipe branched in a Y-shape, then branched again. The Dark Lord went left, then right. 
the pipe came to a solid metal wall. Open! The Dark Lord hissed, and a crack appeared in the metal. It seemed to fold into itself. Beyond was the middle of a long stone tunnel. We shall be walking a while. Did you have more questions to ask, little child? I... I can't think of any right now. Another cold <laughs> laugh replied to this, and they walked into the tunnel, turning right. Harry didn't know, then or ever, how long he walked. The light of burning spiderwebs was too dim to read his mechanical watch, and Harry had not thought to look at the time before entering. It felt like they walked for miles, miles beneath the ground. Slowly, Harry's mind tried to recover itself a final time. Very possibly final, if he was right about the Dark Lord killing him after this. Though the Dark Lord had said that he would resurrect Hermione, which seemed pointless if that was true. Was that simply the Dark Lord following through on a promise he would not otherwise have been able to make in Parseltongue? Why had he not just shot Harry on the spot? Seriously, some last functioning part of his brain said to all the other parts. This would be a good time to think of something. Something that the Dark Lord has not already thought of. Something we can do without our pouch or our wand or our time turner. Something that Professor Quirrell has not imagined we can do. Think. Think. Pretty, pretty please think of something. Don't just shut down now. Even if you're scared. Even if we've never really, really faced death before, in the sense of being about to die in the next hour, this is not the time to shut down. Harry's mind stayed blank. Suppose, said that last remaining part, suppose we try to condition on the fact that we win this, or at least get out of this alive. If someone told you as a fact that you had survived, or even one, somehow made everything turn out okay. What would you think had happened? Not legitimate procedure, whispered Ravenclaw. The universe doesn't work like that. We're just going to die. Someone realizes we're missing, thought Hufflepuff. And Mad-Eye Moody shows up with a squad of horrors and rescues us. I think the time has come to admit we're not more competent than the standard authorities. The saving factor does have to be something we do somehow, said the last voice. Otherwise, there's no point in our thinking about it. Problem two, said Gryffindor. Harry Potter isn't missing. He's right there at the Quidditch match where everyone can see him. Professor Quirrell thought of that too. It's part of why he sent that fake note. Problem three, I don't think Mad-Eye Moody and an Oro Squad can beat the Dark Lord, and certainly not before he kills us. I'm not sure the entire DMLE can beat the Dark Lord if he's fighting seriously and Dumbledore is gone. Problem four, the Quidditch match was not disrupted. That's probably the only reason why Professor Quirrell was willing to try something as complicated as bringing us along on this trip in the first place. Thinking along different lines, ventured Slytherin, maybe Professor Quirrell calls in someone else to memory charm us. Legilimency, Imperius, Confundus, who knows what else. We're not a perfect Occlumens. Then the Dark Lord would have a smart, well, 
sort of smart lieutenant that he could use. That could be another reason why Professor Quirrell was so willing to tell us secrets, if he knew that the memory would disappear. It's also a reason to leave the Hogwarts wards, so the Dark Lord can call Bellatrix to apparate in and do the work. This entire reasoning process is illegitimate, and I refuse to participate, said Ravenclaw. What lovely last words, said the last voice. Now shut up and think. Rough stone tunnel went by underfoot, Harry's shoes sometimes dipping into moisture or nearly slipping on a curved surface. The neurons in his brain, which kept on firing, imagined voices talking to each other, yelling at each other, even as the listener stayed numb with horror and shame. Gryffindor and Hufflepuff were conducting a debate about suicide by charging the Dark Lord's gun, or by swallowing the little jewel on Harry's steel ring. It seemed unclear whether the fate of the world was better or worse if the Dark Lord had Harry as a mind slave. If the Dark Lord was going to win anyway, it might be better if he won faster. And the last voice kept talking through it all. Even in the depths of failure, that last voice remained. What else did the Dark Lord always say in human speech and never in parcel tongue? Do we remember? Anything like that? Anything at all? It was all too distant in time. Too distant in time, even though it had all happened this very day. The Dark Lord had told him in parcel tongue just now that it was time to revive Hermione. And then he'd said other things all in English Harry could hardly remember for all that they'd just been spoken. Before then, there'd been the circle of concealment when Professor Quirrell had hissed that the barrier would explode if touched and the defense professor had said in English for Harry not to take off his cloak or try crossing the circle, said in English that the resonance might strike Professor Quirrell afterwards, but Harry would be dead, said in English that if Harry touched the magic and Professor Quirrell didn't remember how to halt the resonance, it would kill them both. Suppose it doesn't kill us both, said the last voice. On Halloween, in Godric's Hollow, the Dark Lord's body was burned, and we only ended up with a scar on our forehead. Suppose the resonance between us is deadlier to the Dark Lord than to us. What if this entire time we've been able to kill the Dark Lord at any time, just by dashing forward and touching our hands to any part of his exposed skin? And then it makes our scar bleed again, but that's all. The sense of stop, don't do that, is inherited from the Dark Lord's worst memory of his mistake in Godric's Hollow. It may not actually apply to the boy who lived. A small note of hope rose, rose, and was quashed. The Dark Lord can just throw away his wand, droned Ravenclaw. Professor Quirrell can turn into his animagus form. Even if he dies, the Dark Lord will possess someone else and return, and then torture our parents to punish us. We might be able to get to our parents in time, said the last voice. We might be able to hide them. We might be able to get the Philosopher's Stone away from the Dark Lord if we killed his current body now, and that stone could provide the nucleus of a counter-army. The Dark Lord was moving on through the stony corridor. His hand still held the gun. 
he was at least four meters away from Harry. If we dart forward, he will sense us approaching through the resonance, said Hufflepuff. He will fly forward rapidly. He can do that. He has the broomstick enchantments that let him fly. He will fly forward, turn around, and fire the gun. He knows about the resonance. He's thought of this already. This is not something the Dark Lord has failed to consider. He will be ready for it and waiting. Continuing the same line of argument, said the last voice. Suppose we can freely cast magic on Professor Quirrell, but he can't cast it on us. Why would that be true? demanded Ravenclaw. In fact, we have evidence that it's false. In Azkaban, when Professor Quirrell's Avada Kedavra hit our Patronus charm, it felt like our head was splitting apart. Suppose that was all his magic going out of control. Suppose if we just cast, say, a Luminos targeting him, nothing bad would have happened. But why? said Ravenclaw. Why suppose that? Because, thought Harry, it explains why Professor Quirrell didn't warn me not to cast any magic on him in Azkaban. Because Professor Quirrell never said in Parseltongue that I can remember that I'd hurt myself if I tried to cast magic on him. He could have given me that warning, but he didn't, even though he gave me a lot of other warnings. Absence of evidence is weak evidence of absence. There was a pause while Harry Potter's parts considered this. We don't actually have our wand, said Ravenclaw. We might get it back at some point, thought the last voice. But even then, Harry thought, and the gray hopelessness returned. The resonance is something the Dark Lord knows about. He's already thought of everything I can do with that. He already has a response prepared. That was my mistake from the beginning. I didn't respect the Dark Lord's intelligence. I didn't think that maybe he knew everything I knew and could see everything I saw and had already taken it into account. Then, said the last voice, Conditional on our winning, we must have hit him with something he doesn't know about. Dementors, offered Gryffindor. The Dark Lord knows we can destroy, deflect, and possibly control Dementors, said Ravenclaw. He doesn't know how, but he knows we have the capability, and where the heck would we get a Dementor anyway? Maybe, ventured Hufflepuff. The Dark Lord's whole Horcrux system would short out via the Resonance if we grabbed him and held him, sacrificing our own life to destroy him forever. Bull hockey, said Ravenclaw. But I guess it doesn't hurt to engage in some pleasant fantasy before we die, no matter how stupid. If Lord Voldemort had a strong enough fear of death, Hufflepuff argued, if he wanted strongly enough to just not need to think about death again, then the Horcrux system could have design flaws like that. It never occurred to Voldemort to test his Horcruxes on someone else. That could indicate he wasn't able to think about the subject clearly. So his fear of death is his fatal weakness? Said Ravenclaw. Yeah, no. I'm thinking someone with over a hundred Horcruxes might have a few failsafe mechanisms in there. And Harry's brain went on thinking. 
a genuine asymmetry in the magical resonances between them seemed improbable. There was no reason for the magical effect to work like that. But the magical backlash could hit the stronger wizard harder, the more powerful magic resonating more dangerously. That could explain the observed event in Godric's Hollow. Voldemort explodes, Baby survives. And also explain the observed event in Azkaban. Voldemort severely impaired by backlash of his strong magic. First year boy who lived hit by lighter backlash of his weak magic. Or if it was only the caster's magic that resonated, that could also explain both those two observations. That might even explain why Professor Quirrell had been in no rush to warn Harry about casting any magic on him. Though there was another obvious reason why Professor Quirrell would avoid raising the subject of the resonance. It was a gigantic hint about the mystery of Godric's Hollow, if Harry ever made the connection. The part that was numb with grief and guilt took this opportunity to observe, speaking of obliviousness, that after events in Hogwarts had turned serious, they really, 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 really should have reconsidered the decision made on first Thursday at the behest of Professor McGonagall not to tell Dumbledore about the sense of doom that Harry got around Professor Quirrell. It was true that Harry hadn't been sure who to trust. There was a long stretch where it had seemed plausible that Dumbledore was the bad guy and Professor Quirrell was the heroic opposition. But Dumbledore would have realized... Dumbledore would have realized instantly. The wise old wizard with the true phoenix on his shoulder would have known, and Harry hadn't trusted him. Harry hadn't told him all the relevant facts. And the reason for this had been sheer neglect to reconsider a cashed decision made four days into the start of the school year. It had been marked something not to tell Dumbledore, and even after Azkaban, even after Hermione died, even after everything, Harry had simply forgot to promote the question to deliberation and reconsider the trade-off. Another wave of grief and shame washed over Harry, and for a time he walked on in the silence of the last voice, other voices being happy enough to fill the gap. After what was at least several miles, and many grey thoughts, the stone tunnel ended. The Dark Lord climbed up stone steps, and Harry followed after. The two of them came into a dark, dank stone building. Dirty, old stone doors swung open without being touched. Before them lay marble slabs rising up from bare ground, upon them names and dates. The tombstones were scattered in nothing like neat rows, and the rest of the graveyard ran wild. The moon above was over three-quarters full, already seeming bright with the night not fully fallen. Harry had stopped walking upon seeing the graveyard. There was a blaring alarm in his brain, saying to be anywhere other than here, but there wasn't any options for accomplishing that. So the alarm cried unanswered, even as behind Harry the stone doors of the mausoleum swung shut again and sealed themselves. The Dark Lord came into the center of the scattered graveyard. He stopped walking and waved his wand above his head in a small circle. 
There was a rumbling sound, and smoothly from the ground rose an altar, at least two meters wide and of black stone, carved with gray sigils. And then, surrounding the altar, groaned up six dark marble obelisks, regularly spaced, gleaming darkly beneath the fading twilight sky. The unanswerable alarm in Harry's brain grew louder. This is a workspace I made for myself, convenient to either Hogwarts or Hogsmeade. The Dark Lord flourished a hand at the altar. That is where Miss Granger shall revive, and also where I shall be reborn into my true body. I shall remake myself first, of course. Magics to revive girl child, easier with true body. A strange, snakish laughter accompanied these words. Rest assured that though some aspects of girl child's resurrection shall be what others consider dark, girl child will not be harmed or made ugly by it, shall still look like herself. Mind shall be her own nor shall I or mine harm her after. Harry's tongue was dry, and his mind was having trouble functioning. Please, Professor, would you say in parcel tongue what is your real purpose in resurrecting Miss Granger? To restore to you, girl-child friends, counsel, and restraint. To make sure she is part of the world for you to care about. That, boy, is truly the greater part of the reason I am doing this deed. Again, snakish laughter accompanied these words, conveying sardonic awareness of some vast irony. A small spark of hope kindled inside Harry, alongside the much greater note of confusion, and the fear that a perfect Occlumens could indeed lie in Parseltongue. Harry didn't understand why the Dark Lord was doing this, if the next step was just to kill the boy who lived, or enslave him. Maybe he'd just never understood Professor Quirrell at all. Maybe somehow Harry's model of Tom Riddle was just that wrong. Maybe the boy who lived would be obliviated of the last day and dropped off somewhere with a confused Hermione Granger while Lord Voldemort went on to conquer the world. Hope flared up in Harry, but it was a confused hope that didn't make any sense. It didn't square with the Dark Lord who had mocked Dumbledore and laughed at his defeat. Harry couldn't come up with any consistent account of Professor Quirrell's motives that allowed for something like this. I do not know what is meant to happen next. The Dark Lord had moved forward to the altar. He knelt there and seemed to reach deep into the stone of the altar itself, drawing forth a vial of liquid that looked black in the fading twilight. When the Dark Lord spoke again, his voice was clipped and precise. Blood, 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 so wisely hidden and the obelisks surrounding the altar began to speak, voices like a chanting chorus coming from the motionless stones, cadences older than Latin. (laughs) 
The obelisk's chant echoed after the end of each line, as if they were speaking out of synchrony with each other. The blood was poured from the vial, and it seemed to catch and hang over the altar, slowly expanding through the air, taking on a shape. A tall form rested upon the altar, and even in the dimming twilight, it looked too pale. The defense professor reached his hand into his robe and drew forth a small irregular chunk of red glass. He placed that upon the tall, pale body. The stone stayed there for a time, minutes at least. The irregular chunk of red glass did not glow, or flash, or give any other indications of power. Then the stone moved, just a little, turning slightly upon the body. The defense professor took back the stone into his robes and prodded the tall form that lay motionless upon the altar, touching the eyes with his fingers, poking the chest with his wand. He threw back his head then and laughed. <laughs> Incredible! Fixed. It is fixed in form. A mere construct sustained by magic become a true substance at the stone's touch. And yet I sensed nothing. Nothing! I feared I had been deceived, that I had obtained a false stone. But the substance proves true to my every test. The defense professor tucked the red glass back into his robes. That is eldritch even by my standards, I admit. Then the defense professor walked around the altar. Five times he walked around it, chanting something too low for Harry to hear. He placed his hands, both of them, over the body's forehead. Then the Dark Lord spoke. Fall, Tor, Pan. Without any warning, there was a flash like lightning that lit up the entire graveyard, and Harry staggered back a step, his hands involuntarily going to his forehead. It felt as if he had been shot there, or a wasp stung him upon his scar. The defense professor collapsed, and the two tall figures sat up upon the altar. End first half of chapter 111. If you enjoyed this episode and haven't done so yet, please consider leaving a rating or review at iTunes. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is The Fall by Ministry. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the second half to Chapter 111, Failure, Part 1. <laughs> <laughs>